So with the little time I've been involved with student ministries, there have been a lot of students that are starting to ask questions and they want to grow in their faith. We try to give them this outlet, a safe environment where they can ask freely, whether that's in our small group, where they're with an adult leader and a few other students, or that's on our Saturday night program where we have this large group gathering and afterwards they are free to ask questions. There's a lot of different experiences and stories that can be told about students' faith. One that was really big was when a student seeked me out for counsel. Watching a student really give up their pride to say, hey, I need some help. What do you think I should do? It was, it was so overwhelming to really grasp that a student, a middle school student, would want someone to speak into their life. In student ministry, we have a lot of adults that are seeking out relationships with students. And when they do that, they're, they're living out the call that they have for Christ. And these students that, that come here have an opportunity to see these adults as an example of loving God. There's not a lot of places where, where students have that. And we'd want the students to be welcomed to this environment and to connect with these adult leaders. We may not notice it here, but our student ministries is a huge impact on this church. They don't just want to reach out to like other students. Like you see them reaching out on the kids fest and reaching out on that guest services team and in the tenderloin. Like they had the desire to not just know like their peers' hearts. They want to know the generation above them and the generation below them. They want to know everyone's heart. They understand that God has called them to a higher role. That they understand that they need to be leaders in their church. And we see that within the ministry itself. We have students seeking a way to lead in their worship team or in their tech team. They want to see the church thrive. It's important that students know that we see and we hear them. It's important that they know that we can see their hearts and that we see their hunger for God. They're craving authentic worship, authentic communication with others, and an authentic relationship with God. We want our program, our own worship team, our small groups and our adult leaders to be authentic with the students. Because that's what God calls us to be. God calls us to be authentic with one another. And here we want to create an environment where they feel welcome to do that. All right. Huh? That's pretty awesome. Love that video. Uh, my name is Brian Solon, and um, I'm going to speak with you today out of God's Word about some cool things. And I just want to let you know, unlike um, Doug was kind of sharing earlier, I have not yet thrown up. So first two rows are the splash zone. I'm just giving you the disclaimer. All right, will you guys pray with me? Father, you are amazing. God, the fact that we get to come here and worship you together as a group in Folsom, California is a huge privilege. Lord, would you bless our time together would it bring glory to your name alone? God, would you stir in our hearts, uh, maybe even rejuvenate a desire to pursue you in a new way, in a way that communicates uh, to the next generation what it means to have a faith in this amazing God that we can't even wrap our heads around. Father, would you bless our time together this morning and would it bring glory to you alone? It's in your son's name we pray and all God's people said. Amen. All right. So a little bit about me. I have uh, worked in youth ministry for a little under 20 years. It's been a huge privilege. I love it. I did a uh, 
a four-year stint as a full-time youth pastor for another church that had the name Side in it. But, uh, and, and here I am today, I've, I've, God has called me here. I work with students here um, under Doug's leadership, and it has been a great, great honor. Um, just being able to pour into students and, and get to know them and have a relationship with them is amazing. Um, something, a little about me, I am a father and a husband, a husband and a father. Um, I have three beautiful children. I have a 13-year-old little boy named Bailey. I have two daughters, uh, 10 and 7, Lorelai and Delia, and my wife, Jill. Um, so something else about me. In high school, I was never a big school fan. I don't share that often with the students because, you know, we kind of want to encourage them to be academically sound, right? So um, I did okay. I was a little under a 3.5 when I graduated. Didn't really have any aspirations to go to school out of high school and uh, decided, hey, you know what would be really cool is if I just enlisted into the United States Marine Corps. I don't know what I was thinking. So um, out of high school, I enlisted day, I enlisted into the Marine Corps from 94 to 98, served uh, for the U.S. Marine Corps. And um, I got to tell you, it was a whole bunch of different things. It was great. It was challenging physically, emotionally, spiritually, mentally. Um, and, and, and at the same time, I am the man I am today. Yes, of course, because of my relationship with Christ, but also because he utilized the Marine Corps to shape me and mold me into the man that I am today. And I am very appreciative of that. Um, after that, I did go to school. But in the Marine Corps, um, in the Marine Corps, it was, it was a great time. I remember in boot camp, there are three phases of Marine Corps boot camp. Uh, Marine Corps is the longest boot camp out of all the armed forces. Um, and they go through three phases. Second phase was my favorite because in second phase, you get to go to Camp Pendleton from Marine Corps Recruit Depot in San Diego, which is south of Pendleton, and you get to learn about the theory behind shooting. You get to um, learn how to shoot your M16 in boot camp. And for a guy who had never touched any kind of gun when he was growing up, that was pretty awesome. Because I think there's something innate, right, in, inside of us as guys. We're like, if there's a gun in the movie, I'm game. But if there's not a gun, then I must have been in trouble with my wife, right? I mean, so, so I mean, there's just something inside of us. So even though I never, you know, got to shoot a gun when I was um, in high school or any, any time before that, I had always wanted to. The opportunity just didn't present itself. So in the Marine Corps, in second phase— they toss us this rifle, and they say, hey, we're going to teach you everything about shooting. We're going to teach you not just how to shoot, but the theory behind shooting. Why does the round go a certain way when it comes out of the barrel of your weapon? Um, at, in the Marine Corps, we qualify at 500 yards. I'm just saying every other service is 300. But 500 yards, man or woman, if you are a Marine, you have to qualify at 500 yards. Guys, how many football fields is that? Five. Five football fields away. No scope. Open sights. And we have to hit what's called a B-mod target, which is from here to here at five football fields in order to continue on. I, um, there are three levels. There are the marksman, which means kind of barely passed. And then there's sharpshooter. And then there's expert. 
Out of boot camp, it is not uncommon for almost all Marines to shoot experts because of the amount of time that the drill instructors give you to learn how to fire your weapon properly. So like a good chunk of my brothers in arms, I came out of boot camp as a, as a rifle expert. And um, I, with that knowledge, this short introduction about me, I want to ask you a question. I brought a balloon. Knowing what little you know about me, who thinks that I could shoot this balloon in one shot? Raise your hand. Keep them up. It's an interactive service, people. Raise your hands high. Who thinks I could shoot this balloon in one shot from across the stage? Right? Hang them high. Be proud of your decision. Hold it up because I'm, I'm not finished. And we don't usually take votes in church if you're a visitor. This, doesn't, this is not common. So keep your hands up. Who is so confident in my shooting ability that they'd be willing to hold this balloon out in their hand from across the stage as I shot at it? Ooh, a lot of hands gone down. Where's your commitment, people? All right, keep your hands up. Those who are still up, hold them up proud. Out of you still remaining, who is so confident in my shooting ability they'd be willing to take this balloon and place it between their teeth? Whoa. I haven't had a woman up here yet. Will you please come up to the stage? Yes, you're right there. Yes, oh yeah, you, give her, give it up. If you just come around this way. Doug, will you uh, please bring, I want you all to know I did run this illustration by our lead pastor, Brad Franklin, got the sign off. This is not a real rifle in, well, my opinion. It is an air rifle. It does fire a projectile, so therefore it is considered a weapon. What, hi, what's your name? Margie. Everyone give it up for Margie. Margie, I forgot, I forgot the safety goggles. Okay, I had them yesterday, but this uh, today. So you don't face me, face the audience, because it'd be really bad. Here, if you could stand right here on this carpet, facing the audience. You don't want to look at me. That, that may end poorly. Um, so I'm going to go over here, Margie, and if you could just stand there. Don't move, okay? Everyone ready? Margie, are you ready? I'm just kidding. I'm not going to fire a weapon in church. Margie, thank you. If you give it up for Margie, you get to keep that balloon. If you, you could, all right. I appreciate it. Obviously, I appreciate that. All right, one more time for Margie, guys. All right. Thanks, Margie. Here's the thing, guys. It's kind of funny to look around, right, and see that when I ask a question that doesn't really require much commitment, a lot of people are willing to raise their hand, right? Yeah, I'd love to see that, Brian. Shoot the balloon from across the stage. I didn't know we were getting a show when we came to church this morning, right? But as soon as I said, as soon as I associated a cost, right, whether it was a digit or two, with the illustration, all of a sudden some hands went down, like, I kind of like my fingers, right? And then, as soon as I asked somebody to put their money maker on the line, their face, all of a sudden it got real. And a whole bunch of hands went down. See, because there was a cost associated with the belief that I could shoot the balloon in one shot. This morning we're talking about authentic faith for the next generation. And here's the thing. To have authentic faith 
requires action. What, what God did for us when he sent his son to die on the cross for our sins, it demands a response. See, we don't get to just sit there and, and be like, that was cool. It demands a response from us. Either yes, I believe that was God's son on the cross. I believe that he rose again. I believe that he did that so that I could spend eternity with the Father and him in heaven. Or I say, yeah, I don't buy it. But we have to respond. Just like my request for you to come up, it demands a response. Throughout history, you know, there have been um, many people who have been considered martyrs for the faith. They have either been tortured or have given the, paid the ultimate price and given their life for their beliefs. Because in, in certain parts of the world, it's not okay to claim Christ. In certain parts of the world, we don't just get to say, yes, I believe, and then go home. For you to say you believe in certain parts of this planet means that you are willing to die for those beliefs. And that, you guys, was a very real fact for the early church. You didn't just get to, you know, slap something on your car and, or your buggy or your horse, whatever, your mule, and just, you know, a bumper sticker on the left side and just, ah, Jesus. There was a cost associated with it. You know, um, you guys know the Christian fish? Right? Not the one with legs or the, or the fins. Um, that was actually used by the early church to identify meeting places for believers. And so sometimes we still see that on people's cars, right? Any bumper sticker fans in here? You raise your hand. Be proud. Be proud if you are a bumper sticker individual. Really? All right. One in the back. Perfect. Uh, the rest of you, it's okay if you're ashamed. I get it. Here's the thing. Do you, sir, do you own a Subaru? Okay. I find, I find that Subaru owners have a lot to say. Right? I mean, like, I've driven behind Subaru, and you're laughing because you know it to be true, right? You've been sitting at the light, and you're like, I don't even have enough time in the two-minute cycle to read everything that this individual has to say. But it's tons. I mean, I was behind the Subaru one time, and I was like, I didn't even know you could fit that many bumper stickers on the back of a car. Right? There's another time that I was behind, happened to be a Subaru a couple years ago, and it had the fish on the back. And I was like, oh, that's a believer in front of me. That's awesome. I'm driving behind a fellow believer. I know that because of this, of this little symbol that they put on the back of their car. Right? So they were saying something. Not verbally, but they had something to say. They, they wanted people to know, hey, I am a Christian. I follow Christ. I believe that Jesus is who he says he is. So we start, you know, light cycles to green. We start driving, following my fellow believer. Right? You guys know where this is going? Guess what happens to the Subaru? It gets cut off. Found out that that person had something else to say too. A bird came out of the window, and I'm telling you now, it did not have wings. And that message was contradictory to what it was that person was trying to communicate to everyone behind them. 
right? And that's why I don't put anything on my card. No, but uh, seriously, um, but seriously, they had something to say, and then their actions spoke differently. See, I'm not a, a bumper sticker individual, but I like to read them. Um, and I also like to ask myself, what do my actions, what does my life, what does my faith communicate to others? I, I continue to ask myself that because um, I don't always like the answer. See, I don't have to take a poll of my coworkers to know that there are times that I'm not a great example of Christ's love to my fellow coworkers. Or maybe the people that I run into. And so I like to ask myself that question and kind of just take account of, of how or what my faith communicates to others. You know, I'm a parent. It freaks me out that, uh, that God has put me and my wife in charge of these three awesome little kids. And it freaks me out that, that their faith, the building blocks of their faith, a lot of it is dependent on mine as a parent. And if you're not a parent, I'm going to even say, go a little further and say that my children's faith is also dependent. They're part of Lakeside on yours. Will you guys grab your Bibles or your smartphones and turn with me to um, James 2, 14. And if you, you go to the back of the book, turn left a few books, you'll be at James James 2.14. James writes this. He says, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, Go in peace. Keep warm and well fed. But does nothing about their physical needs. What good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, this is harsh, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and are scared to death of that God because they have an understanding of how large he is. James isn't saying that you can earn your way to heaven, that you can work your way to salvation. That's not at all what he is communicating. But James, it's an edgy book. Like, what? I can't just slap the fish on my bumper, James. I can't just, you know, yeah, I believe in, I believe in Jesus. And go through life without any cost. I can sit on the corner of Oak and East Bidwell with a megaphone 
And in America, I am totally able to just start reading scripture on the corner from a megaphone. I may get a drive-by by Folsom Police Department, you know, make sure I'm not carrying a weapon or, or that I'm not uh, under the influence of something. But after that, they're going to let me go on my way because I'm not breaking any laws or impeding any traffic. There's absolutely no cost. It doesn't cost me anything except some of my time to go out there and just start reading through the Bible as cars are passing by. But in some parts of the world, people die if that happens. I think sometimes as an American, we get a little complacent. I know I do. I think sometimes we forget how big this God is that we serve. He's amazing. James says, great, you believe in God. So do the demons. And they're freaked out. Because they know how large he is. They know how powerful he is. He, they know that he was the one that created them originally. They know who God is. Do I? I'm going to ask you to do something with me. This is not a weekly thing. We don't do this at Lakeside usually. So if you're a, um, a visitor, don't worry. I, this may never happen again. But if you would just participate with me in this, in this part. I would usually ask you to turn with me to Revelation 4. But instead, I'm going to ask you to do something a little different. I'm going to read Revelation 4, which talks about the throne room of God from John's perspective. So unlike anybody else in history, John had the, the privilege of, of actually being in the throne room of heaven. Being before this awesome God. And I like to read through Revelation 4 because I get a glimpse and a reminder of how big this God that I serve is. So you guys do have me. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. And I want you to paint in your head a picture of what it is that I'm reading. So if you do that now, close your eyes with me. And just imagine this throne room of God. After this, I looked. And there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. Immediately, I was in the Spirit. And there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby. A rainbow that shone like an emerald encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones. And seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. In front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing. It says these are the seven spirits of God. Also in front of the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the center around the throne were Four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and in back. 
The first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a face like a man. The fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. Day and night, they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things. And by your will, they were created and have their being. Keep your eyes closed. Can you guys see it? God wanted us to get a glimpse of his glory. He wanted us to know what the throne room in heaven looks like. He wanted us to see how big he is. You can open your eyes. I don't know about you, but that just like totally recharges me. Lord, forgive me. I totally forgot how awesome you are. I don't know about you. There's no leader in the world that has 24 other important people sitting around them with their own thrones. God knows how big he is. There's not a world leader that has the courage to be surrounded by 24 other people with their own thrones and crowns. These are some important people. And the four living creatures with wings and eyes everywhere, only God could create something that looks like that. And it says every time that those four living beings say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. The Bible says that the 24 elders who are sitting on their own throne around the throne of God, that they drop to their knees every time. They take off their crown, they place it down, and they, and they say, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power because you created all things I don't know about you, that's crazy. We serve this huge God. The Bible says that before we were even a thought in our, our parents' head, he knew that, that we were going to be who we are. He, that when um, we were in our mother's womb, that he was molding us and shaping us. I took anatomy one time in college, and I got to tell you, it didn't excite me at first because it was a lot of work. But as I was like learning about this body, I was like, God is awesome. 
Because only God could put something this intricate together. It wasn't an accident. It didn't evolve from some speck of dirt. I was created by a very artistic and loving father. Still don't know what the appendix does, but I'm sure there's a reason that it was there. But I mean, how cool is it to kind of just think about how intricate our bodies are and to know that God had the creativity and forethought to create us this way. This God is the same God who sent his son to come down here and walk with us messed up humans. To go and and die a gruesome death on a cross because that was the cost of the sin of man. That in order for us to have a way back to heaven, a way to heaven, to spend eternity with God, it had to be done. And Jesus was the only person that could do it. And this same God that's surrounded by 24 elders, who is, his glory is so big that John doesn't even describe him. I don't even know if he can see him. I mean, the light is so magnificent. Wants us to spend eternity with him in heaven. And I, and I ask myself, if people are always watching me, what, does my life communicate just how large our God is? Does it communicate that I believe that he says he, who he says he is? Does it tell other people about his love? The answer, unfortunately, sometimes is no. Here's the thing. Whether you're a parent or not, this next generation, they're taking notes. Maybe they're not putting it into their smartphones, right? But they're putting it here. And if you're a parent, every one of your children, whether you believe it or not, is watching and taking their cues and building their, their playbook off of what words you choose, what actions you make, what decisions you make what they see is important to you by your actions. See, it's one thing to say it, right? It's one thing to slap a fish on a bumper. But it's a whole nother thing to deliver on that statement. James says, authentic faith looks like this. There's a cost associated with it. There's an action required of it. And if you're not a parent, my kids are still watching you. They're building their playbook, not just off of mine and Jill's life. They're building it off of yours. The students that, that the youth staff and I get to, to work with, we get to build their playbooks. We get a page in their playbook. It's pretty amazing. 
I'd like to challenge you guys with this real easy for the next week. One week challenge. If you're a parent, would you, every day of this next week, set a reminder on your phone if you have to, maybe at the end of the day, and ask yourself this, what did my life today communicate to my children? What did my words communicate to my children? What did my actions say to them? What do they think I think is important? Okay? If you're a parent. If you're not a parent, you're not off the hook. Because if you call Lakeside Church your home, my kids are building their playbook off of your life. And I want you to ask this question. What does my life say to the next generation? If other people's children are watching me, what do I, what am I saying to them is important? Not by the stickers I put on my car or the, the words that I say. Though those are good. Those are not bad things. How are they followed up? What do the actions communicate? If you're retired, maybe your kids moved out. Maybe you never had kids. If you're over 50, I want you in youth ministry, and let me tell you why. The world says, ah, they probably couldn't connect with them. I'll tell you this. In my years of youth ministry, the best, best staff members I had were my over 50s. There's something that you can give to our students that Doug and, and myself, we can't. We can't. We don't yet have it. Yeah, sure, there's wisdom there. There's discernment. There is, is just years of experience that we don't possess, but there's something greater. Something about people who, have, who are finished with their kids, who are um, you know, heading toward retirement. There's something you know that we are still learning. And it's you know how to connect, and I mean really connect with people in a world that, that connects over text message or by posting something on Facebook. You understand what it means to really get to know somebody. And the kids, they love it. They love it. Here's the thing, guys. Start small. One week, authentic faith, it requires action. Would you guys commit to doing that this week? That wasn't very convincing. All right. Will you guys pray with me? Father God, it's true. You, and you already know it, are amazing. God, thanks for giving us a glimpse of your throne room and just how amazing you are. God, you wanted us to know what your throne room looked like. So you had John write it in the book of Revelation. And I'm thankful because sometimes, God, forgive me, I forget how big you are. And I know that's the same with my brothers and sisters in here today. Lord, would you challenge us this week, please, Father, to remember how large you are. To remember how much this 
huge God loves and wants a relationship with us on an individual level. Father, we ask that this week. It's in your son's name we pray. And all God's people said, amen.